This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through 24. 2 Corinthians 8, looking this evening at verses 16 through 24. Hear the Word of God. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray this evening as we study it for the light of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, in this late hour of the day for sharp minds to be able to think your thoughts after you in the word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. An old miser was dying, and he called to his deathbed his doctor, his lawyer, and his minister. They say you can't take it with you, he said, but I'm going to. I have three envelopes here with $100,000 in cash in each one. I want each of you to take one of these envelopes, and before they close the casket for the last time, I want you to put that envelope in the coffin with me. And they all promised that they would do so. And as the funeral was ending, they did. Slipped the envelopes into the casket. But on the way home, the doctor, stricken in conscience, said, I'm building a clinic, so I took $50,000 and I put the rest in the coffin. Well, the lawyer also fessed up. Well, I I kept $75,000 for a legal defense fund I'm setting up and I put the rest in the, in the coffin. Well, the minister just looked at them, astonished. He said, gentlemen, I'm ashamed of you. I put in a check for the full amount. Think about it. Money. Ministry takes money. Money requires integrity. And as Paul is working with the church in Corinth, writing to them, uh, working through any number of things with them that we've seen, uh, pretty serious matters of trust, faithfulness, 
uh, we saw last week where he gets in chapter 8 into uh, addressing them about this whole subject of a collection that Paul was taking for the relief of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, because they were in Jerusalem, they experienced, uh, they're in the heart of Judaism, they experienced uh, persecution and difficulties to a degree that, surprisingly, many of the Gentile believers did not. In uh, their pluralistic setting, uh, many of the Gentile believers actually had it easier in some ways than those who were living uh, there in Jerusalem, who were uh, in many ways ostracized and, and paid a price for their faith. In Christ, and many of them in pretty dire situation financially. And Paul was uh, helping to raise support for these uh, brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now, as we've seen already in our study of 2 Corinthians, Paul had something of a trust problem with the church in Corinth, uh, not so much because of any behavior on his own part, but because of the questions raised about him and insinuations made about him by false teachers, false apostles who came in to the church and disrupted Paul's work and um, slandered his reputation among them so that many of them really did not know what to believe about Paul or who to listen to or what the truth was. And so Paul has written them defending his own ministry, uh, pointing out that they themselves are his letter of recommendation, the fact that they're believers. Uh, this was a church that Paul had started, and perhaps many of them himself had led to faith in Christ Jesus. But now he's taking up this whole question of money. And in the first part of the chapter, he, he talks about that and uh, encourages them to follow the example of the churches in the Macedonian area, churches like the one in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, who out of their own poverty gave generously, sacrificially, for this offering. And uh, Paul also points them not only to that example, but also to the example of Christ himself in that well-known verse of uh, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So pointing the example of the Macedonians who gave, of the example of Christ himself, uh, who who set aside his own immense wealth, if we want to put it that way, as Paul says he was rich, which in the glories of heaven became poor for their sake, that we might have the, the riches of God, the inheritance uh, of, of knowing God and being his. But as he encourages them, Paul is no doubt painfully aware, uh, especially in this relationship with his church, of the need for uh, absolute integrity in his addressing this whole subject of money and this appeal to them. Because no doubt um, one of the insinuations made about Paul is that he wants something from you. you know, what, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the catch? Uh, you know, does he want our money? Um, and we've all, uh, we're all aware of scams, internet scams, email scams, and so forth, that hopefully uh, we're not so naive as to think that there aren't those people who would try to scam us out of money and uh, sometimes can seem very plausible in doing so if we're not on guard. And so uh, Paul does not want to in any way reinforce in the minds of these believers anything that they've heard that he's only... Uh, about your money. Uh, Paul didn't want that. He didn't need that. Uh, his purposes were plain. His motives certainly were good, and he wanted his integrity to be clear. Uh, 
And so as we look at this passage, uh, what we want to do is go through it. But before we go into it, just want you to observe some uh, some principles that Paul follows here uh, in how he approached this that actually are, are useful today. On, on the one hand, he, there, were, there was more than one person involved with this collection. Uh, not just Paul, who's making the appeal, but he lists uh, three men particularly here that we'll look at in just a minute. Uh, Paul also is at pains to make sure that the men that are involved, who will be going to Corinth to, to take the collection, to, to receive the collection, are men of integrity, men whose character is known, and we'll see that too as uh, as we go through this passage. So as we look at the passage, we just want to see the three men that Paul refers to here, only one of whom we really know who he is, uh, and he's mentioned by name, so it's pretty obvious. The other two were not. First of all, there's Titus. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he has not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own Accord. Now, Titus had a relationship with the Corinthian church because of his own trip there, apart from Paul, to uh, to see the church, to meet with the church, and to come back and make a report to Paul of the condition of the church, and particularly what the church thought about Paul. Already uh, in chapter 7, uh, among other places, Paul has uh, referred to Titus and the connection that Titus himself had developed with the church in Corinth. Uh, for example, in chapter 7, verse 13, Paul says, Besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Um, and then he says, But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And Paul's just excited because the church really liked Titus, with you know, all that Paul had said good about Titus to them. He's glad that they agreed. And he's excited also that Titus uh, found the church very encouraging, very refreshing. So uh, someone obviously Paul thinks a great deal of. But look at what he says about him. He says, Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Now, Paul has taken considerable lengths in this letter to emphasize his love for this church, his care for them as people, not as a source of money, not as uh, any... A uh, particular ego trip with influence over them for Paul, but of a real regard for their well-being in every way, and spiritually especially. But when Paul mentions Titus, he says of Titus that he has the same earnest care that I have for you. In other words, uh, Titus is not just some mercenary, just someone who is running an errand for his boss, Paul. Uh, but this is someone who actually cares about them a great deal, just as much as Paul does, and someone that the Corinthians know, uh, someone that they have seen before, they have a relationship with, and Paul says that God himself has put into the heart of Titus. I think there's a significant lesson in that alone, that that, that burden, that concern, that love for the Corinthian church was a God-given love and concern that Titus had. God had given it to him, the same earnest care I have for you. Uh, as evidenced by verse 17, he not only accepted our appeal, presuming there Paul's appealing to him to make this journey to Corinth to help uh, receive the offering collected there, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. So the first thing Paul does is, is say, I'm sending three men to you, one of whom is Titus, a man you know, 
a man you have regard for, a man who uh, shares my same regard and concern for you. And he's making this journey not just because he has to, but because he wants to. Because he wants to take part in this, because he wants to see you again. He's simply going of his own accord. It's something that he wants to do. So that's the first thing that, that Paul mentions here about Titus. He's somebody who's known. He's someone that they trust. And that's important, as Paul is uh, just rebuilding this trust, to know that he is sending to them someone they're familiar with and someone they can count on. But there's someone else that Paul mentions here. Uh, Titus is not even himself going alone. There's someone else that uh, I guess we would simply have to refer, refer to as the famous brother. Uh, not that famous because we don't know who he is. But they did. Paul did. Verse 19. Uh, or rather, verse 18. Paul says, with him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Now, it has to be said that um, there's, there's no way to say for certain who that is. There are people that Paul mentions to the church in Corinth that they know, and presumably if it was someone uh, that they were very familiar with, he would have mentioned them by name. But he commends this as a man who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Even Paul's reference to him as a brother, I think, is intentional. Uh, that Paul uh, owns him as a brother in Christ, not even just a, a, another man, not just another person, but a brother, someone close, someone who's in Christ, who is famous, well-known among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. So, one, somebody who is known for his service, his preaching, uh, he is a brother. Uh, two, verse 19, Paul says not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So Paul says it's not just that he is a brother in Christ, not just that he's somebody known for his faithful and excellent preaching of the gospel, but someone the churches themselves have appointed, have commissioned, have given authority to carry out this work of helping to collect and and minister this offering. So there's presumably uh, not only trust on Paul's part, but trust on the part of other churches that have commissioned this man and can vouch for him and themselves have appointed him to this service. So this is someone who has accountability, someone who has uh, presumably, at least informally, been investigated and found sufficient and found trustworthy and appointed to this task by the churches. And Paul says it's for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. And those are, are those, both of those elements are important. Obviously, in handling money, uh, we, we operate before the face of God. We are accountable to the Lord. But we dare not be accountable to the Lord without regard for the appearances uh, toward other people. Uh, we'll see that, talk about that more in just a little bit. But uh, Paul recognizes that we certainly are accountable to the Lord, but we also have to be careful to maintain a good appearance, to maintain the goodwill, the trust of those around us. Verse 20, Paul says, We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us. And this, this verse is really right in the middle of the passage, uh, and it really is kind of the point. Paul waits kind of until the middle of what he has to say here to say, you know, why am I going on about this? Why am I saying this? Well, this is the reason. Verse 20, we do this so no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us. It's a lot of money collected from the various churches. 
And Paul is saying up front, we want to take pains to make our integrity clear. We want to give no one reason for suspicion. We want to make it plain that we are as trustworthy and upfront in our handling of this gift as we can be. Verse 21, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. Again, that twofold element that we saw at the end of verse 19, a regard certainly for the Lord, who knows even things that we try to keep secret, but also a concern to be open and visible and accountable before men. Very important. Certainly want to be obedient and honor the Lord, but we also need to be careful to maintain integrity in the sight of men. And not raise questions uh, in people's minds or suspicions about what's going on. So Paul has mentioned Titus so far. He's mentioned this other brother known for his preaching of the gospel. And along with that now, it's kind of in the middle, uh, just quite clearly spelled out his motives, his desire to, to demonstrate integrity. Well, then he mentions the third brother. We could call it a tested brother or the earnest brother. Again, an unknown uh, believer. Verse 22. Paul says, and with them, with Titus and the famous brother, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Again, uh, a third person who is part of this party going to Corinth to help gather the collection, receive it. Um, This is someone, Paul says, who has been found tested who has been, uh, you know, in these situations, been examined, uh, has been through it, and has proved himself trustworthy and earnest in many matters. Uh, and Paul again says he, he's, he has great confidence in you, the Corinthian church. So again, it's not just an isolation, but with an eye toward this particular church uh, that he is involved with. And so we see that Paul sends not just one person, not even two, but three men, men who were tested, men commissioned, men found trustworthy, found earnest, uh, who have a regard for the church, a love for the church generally, but the uh, Corinthian congregation in particular. And Paul is doing this because, again, he wants their trust, and he wants them to know that, uh, that, that there's nothing personal in this for him. And Paul is, in a, in a sense, keeping the offering at arm's length. Now, not that there is to be any comparison with Paul himself, but I will tell you, that in our church, uh, we have some similar procedures here. I, for one, uh, much as I may, as occasionally as the Bible does, uh, speak to you about giving or talk to you about giving, uh, I, I maintain a distance from the offering. I don't touch the offering plate. Uh, I don't have anything to do with the processing of the offering. I do not know what people in this church give. It's interesting, there are ministers who, who would disagree with that. Some who would say, well, ministers should know what people give because uh, the, giving is a measure of spiritual health. Uh, and that's true. It certainly is true that uh, giving will be reflected, uh, will reflect rather our spiritual condition. But on the whole, I think it's um, maybe a better safeguard uh, for me, that I not know what you give. Uh, frankly, I don't care what you give as long as you're obedient uh, to the scriptural standard of the tithe, that you're giving out of love for Christ and his church. But um, among those who do process the offering, uh, we can uh, thank Dan and some others, Dan Wyckoff uh, for, for, and the deacons for trying to institute some good uh, principles of accounting there that we try not to have just one person who counts the offering. Uh, there are checks and balances and having at least two men, two of the deacons who 
handle and uh, count the offering, and that's double-checked by our church secretary who handles and processes entering it in the computer and making the deposit, but even that's cross-referenced with a uh, with the, with figures that Dan has from the counting of the offering with the deacons, and we do want to try to uh, not only have integrity in terms of the process itself, but have checks uh, and, and safeguards there to prevent any accidental uh, miscounting or mishandling of the money, but certainly uh, to head off any kind of intentional misuse uh, or mishandling of the money as well. We certainly want to do that with integrity, one, because we are accountable to the Lord, and two, because we are accountable to you, and you think about it, and in a year in the life of this church, a considerable amount of money comes through, and we want to be above board and uh, to have integrity not only before the Lord, but before you. The uh, importance of this um, is, is seen in recent events. Uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me back up, just go back to how Paul concludes. He just kind of summarizes in verse 23. Uh, he just says, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So again, he just mentions them again and, and commends them. and says these are good men and trustworthy men. Again, very important. Uh, as we've seen uh, recently, um, uh, even in the news, uh, where United States Senator Charles Grassley had called last November for an investigation of six very visible and large uh, ministries, prosperity ministries in particular, two of which are located here in Atlanta, and four others uh, called for an investigation uh, by the United States Senate Committee on Finance. According to his office, uh, he is trying to determine whether or not these ministries are improperly using their tax-exempt status as churches to shield uh, lavish lifestyles, things that uh, perhaps you're familiar with if you heard about, things that include uh, uh, large salaries, some rather expensive real estate transactions and gifts and so forth, uh, business jets, $30,000 conference table, in one case a $23,000 toilet with a marble lid, uh, all the essentials for ministry. Uh, you know, many years ago, John Calvin wrote, there's nothing that's more apt to lay one open to sinister interpretations than the handling of public money. And people give money to these ministries, and you see it going for those kinds of things, and you look at the biblical teaching on on ministry and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the verses we find in the Bible regarding handling of money, use of money, so forth, and uh, how we should live and handle our money as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and eyebrows are raised and inquiring minds want to know exactly what is going on here. Well, we certainly, uh, whether as individuals before one another or as a, as a congregation uh, accountable for you and the money that uh, you entrust to this church, we want to live in such a way as to be uh, not only in keeping with integrity, but not even giving an appearance of evil or wrongdoing. And even beyond appearance, if someone wanted to dig deeply into the finances of this church, uh, the desire is that they would find everything in accord with the strictest propriety. And we are accountable to God. You are accountable to God for your own finances and as a congregation and certainly as, a, as officers of the church, accountable to the Lord as well as to you 
for the not insignificant amount of money that comes through the church in a year. And so we certainly all want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. That no one should be able to blame us about the salary, the money that the Lord has entrusted to us. That no one should be able to blame this church about our handling of the money that the Lord has been pleased to bless us with. And so as Paul is writing about the money, he recognizes that integrity matters. It mattered to him. It should matter to us. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to raise suspicions uh, about misuse of money. Certainly not, Lord. We recognize that we are accountable to you. But, Lord, we also want to have a good reputation for faithfulness and integrity. Father, I pray that it would be so uh, with this church, with the various ministries and activities of this congregation. Father, we pray that it would be so in our own personal finances, that we would be good stewards of the wealth that you have entrusted to us and that we could stand before you and uh, have a clear conscience and that you would be pleased with the way that we have administered the funds that you have entrusted to us, whether as families or as a church. And we pray it for the witness of Christ and the glory of his name in the earth. And we pray it in his name. Amen.